Hello, my name's Charlie Winston and this is my podcast called As We Are, which is inspired by my most recent album, As I Am. It's discussions with people who interest me and inspire me. Some of those people you may know, but others you may never have heard of. But that's not the point, you see, because I'm simply interested in people. So, without further ado, I shall let you discover this episode. Take me as I am. The following conversation is with an old friend of mine called Thomas Peter. He is a photojournalist working for the global news agency Reuters, which has had him following Angela Merkel for five years in Germany, plus capturing moments such as the 2019 Hong Kong riots, the outbreak of Covid in China and the war in Ukraine. Tom and I lived together in London in the years 1998 to 2004, very formative years for two boys making their tracks in the big wide world. Consequently, I regard him as one of my closest friends. You know, the kind of friend with whom time never seems to pass. Each time we talk, no matter how many years it's been, we hardly even get to the question, how are you? It's just a continuation of where we left off. At 18 years old, with a mod-style haircut, he came to London with nothing but a bass guitar, a camera and a few clothes. My friend and fellow band member at the time approached him in Covent Garden and said, You look like Nick Drake. Tom hardly spoke a word of English, but from the next day onwards, he was taking photos of our band rehearsals, gigs and press photos. Several months later, he moved into my apartment and the rest is history. Thomas taught me how to be an autodidact. I know few people who work as hard as him or who would dare to go to some of the places he's been. From very little, he has become a highly respected name in the field of photojournalism, winning a Pulitzer Prize with his team. As his wife put it, it's only the creme de la creme of top photographers who get chosen to follow such a huge story as the war in Ukraine. A video journalist herself, I believe every word. Here is my conversation with Thomas Peter. Okay, so here we are. Tom, how are you? Hey, Charlie. Good to be with you. Um, I'm well. I'm well. Um, I've had a quiet day and it's evening here in Beijing. Nice. Well, uh, it's good to see you. It's been, um, well, it's not been too long. We, we saw each other recently, but we've known each other now about 25 years, I think, since we lived together in London for yeah. a good period of time. And they were great memories, but we've all, we've both gone uh, our own ways. Um, and you, being a photo journalist, have been around the world, and it's fascinating all the places you've been. I mean, from when we lived in London, you then went to um, well, you came from G Germany in Mainz, and then you lived in London for about seven or eight years. Did you? Or was it seven years? Yeah, yeah seven years. And then. Um, and then after you'd finished your your studies with Russian and photography, in fact, the, the no, I, I studied Russian literature and uh, history, not photography at all. There was there was a year I studied yeah, photography, I but I, I I quit that because it was a rubbish course, <laughs> and uh, I decided to not complete that one uh, and just focus on that's it literature and uh, history, which was uh, very useful uh, later on. Because you went that, then you went to Russia, and you yeah. um, you then did you get the job in Reuters in Russia or, or I did yeah that's where I started that's how my you career. got posted. So, no, I didn't get posted there. I, I went to Russia without a job, and um, 
made my contacts in the photography scene there. And at some point, uh, there was an opening at Reuters in Russia, and I applied and and got the job. Um, that's so I got my start in photojournalism as a paid photojournalist in Russia. Yeah, right, right. And um, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna glide through your life since then, just to give an example, give a kind of patchwork of where you've been since then. Predominantly, you stayed in Russia for. Um, I think it was around five years that you were in Russia. Am I correct? And then yeah, you, permanently. Yeah. Right, and then you came back to Berlin, and you were there for five years. Yeah, correct. And then you went to Tokyo. Yes. And you were there for two years. About two years, yeah. Which yeah, and then happily you then went to Beijing. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my my boss at the time asked me if I wanted to swap with the with the photographer who was our Beijing photographer at the time, and I did. It's been an interesting move. Um, we'll probably get into this later. Um, China is a very unique country, yeah. and uh, it it's it has a it has an influence on on the mind because of its uh, authoritarian system. Well, I know? guess also as a Westerner, you're seeing it through that lens. Uh, if you'll excuse the pun. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean. Western or no, it's 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 more that having grown up in a free society makes it very hard to live in a non-free society, and mm. and some people adapt better to that than others, and and I do struggle with the um, with the sort of restrictions that come with life in in a in a dictatorship, I guess you know, yeah, which yeah, are yeah. always somehow present. But what's interesting about your story is that you, I mean, you are <laughs> you've always um, to me, looked like someone, well, actually, I know you well, when you look like someone who likes to be a, an alien in a way, in, a, in an environment, which is not always welcoming, but it's where a lot of the stories are. Yeah, it's, um, I've always liked being an outsider to a certain extent, especially for work, because that gives you a unique perspective. Um, it's not the only perspective that makes good photography. Uh, a lot of good work is done by people who are actually very much on the inside of the story they photograph. But yeah. I, having chosen the path of a foreign correspondent, automatically, you know, kind of always look more from from the outside in. Um, however, I had to realize uh, after so many years abroad that there is a there's a price you pay for being constantly an outsider yeah right because i'm not just uh going to a place where i am an, a an alien for two weeks to shoot a story i actually live here mm. um and in some places i've lived that weren't my native country i managed to make a home mm. because i you know made a connection with people and society was something that suited my my character and um, other places like like this one, it's uh, very much not possible for me to to become part of 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 the society because it's just built on ideas that I I just cannot agree with. So that makes it much harder to be. So I stay an outsider in China very much. So yeah, right. So you're actually not you're you're, you're you don't particularly want to stay there right now for no, much longer. I mean, there's no there's no there's no future. 
for a healthy life um, in a country where you feel constantly um, alienated. Yeah, it's 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 okay for work, uh, but after six years, there's a certain amount of burnout. Um, sure. Yeah. So what's um, actually? It's probably worth mentioning that when. I last saw you with your wife and we were, and, and I had to ask you, you know, what, what, what's your position now? Like, where are you at in terms of your career as a photographer? And, and it was your wife who sort of pointed out the fact that uh, you'd just been in the Ukraine earlier this year shooting the war there. And it is only a very few handful of, as she put it, the cream of the crop of photographers that would get chosen to go and shoot that kind of thing. So you are actually kind of at the top of your game in a, in a way um, after all these years in terms of um, being a photojournalist. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm confident to be able to shoot uh, any story that's thrown at me, which I suppose makes me, um, you know, puts me into the, you know, experience. <laughs> in the higher ranking of experienced photojournalists. Um, and I'm very much a photographer who thinks about every single story and every 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 single picture I shoot which is something that automatically through a lot of you know work and hours you put in translates to pictures that stand out i mean i leave the the, the judging of my work to other people but what i can say is that i feel confident in being able to handle difficult assignments so, um, so what is it give yeah. give me an example of a difficult assignment like what would what would be of course in every job we do there's some jobs which are easy and there's some sort of jobs are really hard so what would be the mm. the way you describe a, a really hard assignment what would make it hard so one of the most challenging aspects is uh the finding a report with the people you photograph. And that can be easy if the people you tell a story about want you to be there, which is the case in Ukraine. Ukrainians very much want their story to be told, which makes it easier to work with people there. Of course, given the circumstances, it's 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 dangerous and hard and there's a certain element of of, you know, there's always grief and and despair surrounding it. But by and large, they want you to be there, which makes it easier to work with them. Very challenging are situations and societies that do not want you to be there or they're fatigued about it. Um, and to give you one example, it's quite a while back when when Russia was uh, building stadiums to, to, to for its Olympic Games in 2013, I think it was the Winter Games in Russia, I think they were either in 2000, the winter of 2014, I yeah. think. Um, and so I went a few months before the start of the Olympics uh, to do stories about the locals struggling with the whole building projects because the government didn't really, you know, took a lot of uh, care or they didn't really care too much about the locals, uh, you know, paying the price for, for, for the building of those big venues. And when I got there, I found people who were so fed up with everything that they just didn't want to talk to any journalist. They didn't see a point in telling me their story and showing me what happened. You know, you had people whose houses had caved in because landslides 
you know, we're created by massive building projects on top of a hill or by like big sinkholes appeared because in other areas the the, the groundwater was um, uh, was taken out. Um, so I met these locals and it took a lot of work before I took the first picture to make them understand that there is a point in still telling their story, even though they think everything's lost. So stories like those are challenging. Um, but it's a challenge, it's a challenge that I, I, I like, mm. you know, cause it's, it's kind of it's social hard. challenge in a way is in a way you're sort of, I mean, one of one of many other challenges yeah. you're, yeah. you're having to win people's trust. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you only do that as a human being. Uh, yeah. so that's why you, you, you gotta be a human being first and then a photographer. Um, and you don't always succeed, you know, sometimes they just don't like you and they will never be convinced that it makes sense to, to work together. But oftentimes you can. And, and when that works, you feel you've achieved something. Have you ever been in a situation and I'm going to use the word limbo. Have you ever been in a situation when you're in a limbo and you're between thinking I've got something here, but it's dangerous and I kind of need to get out as well, but the there's possibly something that's I've, I, like I can get. Like I'm, you're between you, you're between two that that crossroads of being. Right. Yeah. When you're um, in, I mean, I don't know if it's like being in a dangerous situation or just in the situation where you're where you're. Well, I mean, learning how to you know get, win people's trust. I, I can imagine that you're faced with a lot of anger or emotions basically is what I'm saying. And is there a moment where you feel like you could get it, but you just got to, like, if you push too hard, you get the wrong result? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm trying to think of, like, a an example. I mean, I, I, one example, uh, the, the word limbo, I don't know how that fits... But um, there was well between same being story. heaven and hell is what I'm saying. You know, between something really good and really dangerous, and you're neither. Okay. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, here's the thing: it's like if there's if there's a if there's a sense of danger and 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 you feel, I tend I tend to err on the side of security. Um, yeah. So if if if. You know, if the danger seem, seems to become, you know, too overwhelming, then I just get out of there. Uh, because before it's too late, well, when it's too late, it's too late. So that's just like, you know, there's often no wiggle room when it's a dangerous situation. As in, as in you know, people can just like get angry and snap like that, and then it's too late. So you gotta, you, you got to have your antennas up. Or uh, in Ukraine, when sh you hear shelling coming closer, you don't linger, you just get out of there. Right. So da danger is, is something you've got to take seriously when you, when you, when you feel it. Um, but to go back to this situation where I had to convince people to work with me, there was this one woman uh, whose house was basically almost cracked in half uh, because the ground had given away. And, and, and I, I got to her house and she was so in distress that she never actually changed out of her bathrobe in the morning because she was just so apathetic about her life. Um, after 
you know, her entire life savings that were in the house were basically just like gone down, gone down the hill almost. And I tried to convince her to show me around, to tell me her story and to to let me photograph her. And she, she kept saying like, I, I don't care anymore. I don't want, you know, just let me leave me alone and all that. And I was like, let's just have a cup of tea, you know, and I sort of mm-hmm. sat her down, we had a cup of tea and took the pressure off in trying to convince her. And then that made her agree to work with me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, that's sort of, it. it it's giving that sort but of you, element of humanity. Yeah, exactly. But you can't you, you can't come across as greedy, right? If you if mm. if if they feel you're there just for the, the picture, just for the story, and lose sight of of them as 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 human beings, then um, you're not doing them. You're not doing yourself a favor favor as a human being, and you are certainly not giving them, paying them the respect that it deserves. Do you see greedy photographers? Often, Sorry, yeah, sorry. yeah, you see, you see it a lot, you know. Like, um, say, in Kiev or Kharkiv, when people were seeking shelter in the metro stations, um, you had two thousand people sleep on the at the height of of uh, people using metro shelters as 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 uh, metro stations as bomb shelters. You had at the height of them of that time, you had like two thousand people crammed into the metro stations, and they would create little personal spaces um, with mattresses and and little tents and and curtains, and you you would come in and ask them for for pictures, and you would always see something. There's always certain pictures that like really you know stimulate you as a photographer. It's like someone holding a baby or someone playing with a dog or certain colors, certain shapes, interesting characters. And there are photographers who just lose sight of the fact that they are dealing with human beings um, who, sadly, because of circumstances, have their personal life turned into a public space, turned, in, you know, from the inside to the outside. And you do see that, right? And and among colleagues, we have, you know, we often call them back and say, like, hey, mate, just, like, you know, be a human. Um, because what it takes is... You introduce yourself, you talk to them, you see how they feel, and you can sense pretty quickly if they if they're up for a picture or not, and if they see a point in having that picture taken or not. Um, and you might sometimes not get the picture you really want, but then you go like, "So what? There's yeah. an infinity amount, an infinite, an infinite amount of uh, pictures out there." Yeah, you know, yeah, to, absolutely. You just need to keep working on them. And your yeah. role is like your your opening people's eyes to things that would not be seen otherwise there's this there's my song open my eyes and so that's something that you that's what you do that's what you do for a job you you open people's yeah. eyes to but it sounds to something that's happening that they can't see for themselves that is true but it sounds easy easier than it is um and what because what we most this day and age battle with is the uh like the the huge amount the inflation of pictures that surround all of us Mm. so taking a picture any sort of picture that might contain the information you want to convey will not open anyone's eyes if that picture isn't somehow shaped and framed and crafted in a way that it does open someone's eyes um so you know just like a good song 
needs to be worked and crafted for hours and hours and hours to actually strike a certain chord in the listener's mind. Does a, does a photograph really to, to achieve anything uh, need to perform these very sort of these functions, right? So, so tell me, right, I mean, I know what it is to craft a song, maybe not, mm. uh, not other non-songwriting people know what that means. But I don't know what it is to craft a photograph because we, mm. as you said, we live in this world where everyone's a photographer now yeah uh, with their phones so tell me what that means to to craft a photo a photo and in a frame with a frame of reference that people can understand as a story within a story narrative well if i had the formula <laughs> i'd probably not tell you because it would be my secret but the truth is there isn't a formula there is there is an intuition as a photographer that you develop over many years of doing this and you get to a situation when you when you can feel the picture ah. um, and it might be there in its vicinity and vicinity on a spatial uh, dimension or on a temporal dimension yeah. meaning that some elements still have to come into place um, the person still has to appear in that one window or like a car still has to come around the corner with its headlights on or a temporal where the light isn't right yet. Mm. You, you can see that this will be at a certain time of the day, have just the right lighting to make that picture work. Mm. But what it is exactly that makes a picture work is different for each situation and you somehow, you somehow start to feel it, you know? No, but that's, that's so interesting because it's kind of the same answer as how do you write a good song, really. Right. <laughs> In the yeah, end. Yeah. So it really is, it's just about intu intuition. But I guess the craft actually is doing it again and again and again and again and again and again yeah until your intuition is really strong about the the tiny mechanical moves you need to make in order right. to get to that final goal yeah yeah and sometimes you don't you don't know yourself what it is that makes that song or the picture perfect um but you know, it's not quite there yet. The difference in photography and in photojournalism is that you can't tamper with the material, um, which uh, of course you as a musician, you have all the creative freedom to change any element in, in your songwriting to make it, make it work. So for us, it's, um, it's the elements you, 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 you bring into play are patience, Anticipation. Sometimes it's a split second, but you you kind of feel it's coming and you're waiting for it. Um, or as I said earlier, like the human contact to work with people so that they let you into their lives, which then will make the picture happen um, because they they agree to to let them photograph. Yeah, exactly. You know, like to let them observe, let you observe them. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, when you talked about everyone being their own photo photographers, and I, I guess that would mean also that people's eyes are changing as well, in the same way that now there's a lot of things that we can't get away with in music because people's way to consume music has changed. Do you think that's changed, you know, the way people consume images? You mean... Well, um I mean, the we live in an... <laughs> Sorry to quote my song, but algorithms. Uh, we live in the world of algor algorithms where, you know, it's not only changed the way we um, do things. Um, mm. 
get what the way we deliver our craft to right. people but it's also the way people receive the craft as well right and in your case it's like so in terms of images ev we live in a world surrounded by images every day including our own personal um archive of images so yeah. do you think that's changing the way that we receive the kind of images from yourself and people in your field yeah. or, or change the way that you think about making images uh i i, I think it it probably has if you if you talk about platforms that are governed by algorithms uh yeah and that's that's <laughs> social media which used to be a great place for photography before the algorithms took over um the the problem with those algorithms is i have i do have a big problem with them is that you know they show you stuff that the algorithm has figured out will provide you with the largest amount of pleasure yeah that immediate trigger of pleasure which keeps you um engaged with that platform mm. that's not photojournalism it will show you it's um it's it's funny videos it's somehow you know like uh things that the algorithm believes you like and 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 it's it will not come up with great photojournalism and 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 that's that's the annoying part because the the algorithm goes for the lowest sort of common denominator common denom yes I, I, I mean of course it can be very smart if you look at tiktok it figures out within i don't know 20 minutes kind of your interests and it will feed you with those videos right mm. but those interests are like your your pleasure interests and photojournalism and the content is stuff you often don't want to see um, and you probably wouldn't choose to see if 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 it wasn't for someone telling you that it's important to look at this. Mm. And um, that's why when it comes to photojournalism, I so much more in support of the human element that used to be the curator of, of photojournalism, which is uh, magazine editors, curators in, 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 in galleries, mm. because they would point you into directions of uh, subject ma subject matter or of certain styles and there's an evolution in styles and and you know you can you can see where that goes and this is all stuff that's outside of of your knowledge unless you are steeped in you know modern photography but that's where the curator comes in that's where say to get away from go away from from photography uh, magazine editors you know you buy a magazine yeah, you like yeah. and you know every week this editor will or the group of editors will have chosen articles that are important and you might not know they're important and they don't just show you stuff that you like and they know that you like it because that makes you buy the the, the keep buying the the, the magazine right yeah, i mean that's yeah, yellow yeah. press that's what yellow press used to do yeah so you know, with with algorith algorithms as a provider of 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 like pleasure impulses, I struggle, and it has overtaken, say Instagram. You know, Instagram for me used to be a stream of content that I somehow created by following a certain set of 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 uh, content providers, and they were all photographers, and that was a way for me to keep up with colleagues' work from around the world and stuff I admired, and I would always see what they do, and then. I don't know, a few months back, they changed the whole thing to more of a TikTok-like experience. Yeah. And and now I get to see 
cars, which I don't care about, yeah, or like and yeah. foot football scenes yeah. and 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 stuff like that. And every now and then there's a there's a you know photojournalism piece among that stuff, and I go like, well, you've you've destroyed it. Yeah. You know? Well, it's funny you should say that because I've just. Um decided to delete all of the people I follow not because I don't want to follow those people um there was a lot of accounts that I enjoyed following but I realized that the majority of my time when I you know sat down to have a look at I took these little moments during the day to look at what's on what's what the people I'm following sharing it was 50 percent not those people it was just a ton of stuff that I didn't want to see I didn't care about and and I thought to myself, this is this is now becoming a real waste of my time. Yeah. And um, and I realized if I want to find out what people are doing, I could just go directly to their account. <laughs> I don't have to be subscribed to the, their page, you know. And right. so, of course, it takes a little bit more effort. But in the long run, I spend a lot less time on stuff that I don't care about. You know, because yeah. you do. We it's, it's we're in a a world of distraction now. So you think, oh, I'd like to see that, and then you find ten minutes later, you've been looking at everything but that thing. It's very yeah. easy. I mean, it's do. it's it's an attention economy for them. Yeah. The the engagement time is what matters. Yeah. For their for their for their um, advertising revenue, so they they try to make you glued to the screen and uh, mm. whatever it takes. So they don't care about you. You know, they care about the page impressions they get. So, um, but it's for you, it's changed also, I imagine. Um, like the way, like I remember you telling me once how what happens when you get a great photo, you can actually upload it immediately and it could be within five or 10 minutes, it could be on a, a main news outlet. It could be seconds, you know, like on, wow. um, Certain events like the Olympics or important football games or like uh, a big election, the final picture of the winner uh, being announced, uh, we in we sent the picture straight from the camera. Hmm. Um, so the camera is then connected to the internet, choose a picture at the back of the camera, press send, go to the editor. Um, they write a quick caption, crop if necessary, and then it goes out to the wire. And then for those important stories, it will be picked up immediately by, by the big newspapers. So that process can be as short as, as, as five seconds. Because wow. some of these newspapers actually have, have automated pickup systems from the wire. So they yeah. take like the first picture of the, I don't know, the deciding goal in the World Cup. Um, and then bang, it's on their, on their front page. Uh, and, and there you go, you know, That's crazy. before, you, before you put your camera down, like your pictures all over the world. And have you seen that happen? I mean, is that have, have you, do you ever follow what you, what you send out to see if it gets kind of goes out there? So I'm not a sports photographer. I, I do shoot sports, um, every now and then, and I do the Olympics, but I'm not a specialized sports photographer. So that is, um, that particular speed thing, not so much, uh, hasn't happened for me so much as with, let's say, sports photographers. Yeah. But I do, of course, follow, um, I do check when I, I, I cover important events where that stuff ends up uh, because mm. it's just interesting to see what, what, what impact you made and how you, how you did 
in comparison to your competition. So, yeah, you do a fair amount of googling your own name. Um, but do you think, think it's? Uh, um, do you think that's a good thing? I mean, do you think it's good that you can? I mean, it's quite exciting, really, that you can you can make it. It's like making a track and then you know putting it up and then it's out in the world on Spotify, etc., etc. Do you think there's? Does that feel like yeah. a really good aspect of the algorithmic world we live in? Well, that's not an algorithm, you know. That's that's no. human beings making making a choice, like starting with me, who decides which picture to send, um, and the ultimate choice is made by the editor, the picture editor of the newspaper, True. to decide this is the one. So this is this is still, However, even though it's it's technically aided, but it's still a human conversation, so to speak. However, right? those things wouldn't be possible if there were not algorithms on the internet in place for, and on your camera. I mean, your camera is full of algorithms, I imagine. I mean, not the algorithms that follow what you do and learning right. ones, but, you know, methodical algorithms, which are like to get this uh, result, for example, in right. a picture, when you get, you know, picture programming and stuff like that, or focus programming, I guess, you know, there's sort of this algorithms in place to get to that point. It's, not always like a social media aspect. It's also just a right. methodical thing. Yeah, I mean, I I think for that we should define, define. what we mean by what we mean by algorithm. So you yeah. know, there's the, the 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 kind of machine learning algorithm that, yeah. that figures out you know which is what we're dealing with in social media yeah. most of the time. Uh, the cameras we use uh, don't have. Um, we use them mostly in manual mode, so we set our own oh. exposure. Um, so that's all set by the photographer. Yeah. What ha what has been improving massively in the last, I don't know, five, maybe even only three years is a facial recognition mm. uh, focus, which is algorithm aided. Yeah. So the um, I don't I rarely use it, but but in in some occasions it's actually quite useful to have your camera decide. Uh, where the face of the subject is. Mm. That only works if you have like one person in the picture. Yeah. You know, or like, uh, <laughs> um, and, and, and then it will actually find the eyes and it will make sure that the focus is like razor sharp on the eyes. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's an A that is useful and that's an algorithm as well. It's, it's, it's an AI that, that, that has learned to recognize faces in an environment. Yeah. Um, I don't mind that sort of algorithm because I still have agency over whether I turn it on or off or when to use it mm. and, and if it works for me or not, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not against the technology of, of machine learning if, if you know, I have a say in, in how it affects my life or my work. Uh, so there, that, Do you think that's fine, but... Yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, I was no, just, was, was just going to say, like, um, on a slightly different subject i wanted to ask uh, a, a question based on the song unconscious about what mm. and especially about what drives us to do things and what i've learned what that song talks about very much is i had to learn and i'm still learning how i'm programmed you know from a young age it's kind of through my education through my parenting through the kind of friends that I chose when I was younger um, and sometimes through hereditary, you know, things that are passed on, which you have no mm. control over. There's a very murky, blurry line between, you know, what you yeah. learn and what you already have. But 
it all kind of contributes to what drives me and what drives my thought processes. And I'm wondering what drives you to do what you do? What do you think drove you to, to have this, to take on this, this uh, role in life? Um, I think it's, uh, there are more conscious decisions. So I haven't explored my subconscious to be honest, uh, too much because it hasn't really gotten in the way. Um, so, you know, character traits I, I have and, uh, I wouldn't know I had them if it wasn't for my wife <laughs> pointing them out to me, uh, um, which is a very important thing, uh, which we can get into in a minute is that, you know, the closest people to you are very, very important, whether it's your partner, your best friends yeah. in, in telling you who you are outside of your own thinking of who you are. Right. That's a very important self sort of a correcting thing to have in life. So, but like outside of these things, the decisions to choose the career and the life I live, uh, were conscious, but what, what drove me to be a, um, kind of wandering, uh, citizen of the world, some yeah. people would call it. I don't know, to be mm. honest, I, I, I felt, I felt trapped in the small, German town I grew up in and and getting out of there was always an urge where exactly that came from I don't know but I never mm. really questioned it because it worked in my favor and probably that's what many people do as long as whatever the subconscious makes you do if it doesn't get in the way you just go along with it was there a moment when know. you when you remember Finding something that was your, that you could call your passion with photography, where you—I mean, what was it that? There's something about ob being the observer that you enjoyed, and being able to capture someone's story. Like, what? What was? Yeah. What's going on? It there? was. It's. It was actually. It was actually. It, it's always been a challenge to. I'm not the most extroverted person who automatically like embraces every human being that comes my way, um, and 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 building that report with people to 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 earn their trust so you can take pictures and, and work together with them uh, is actually hard work that doesn't come naturally necessarily every day I, I guess I kind of enjoyed the, the the challenge of that yeah because of the reward at the end of it which 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 was the picture um, so uh, you know I don't know it's like I guess it's a little bit of, of, you know, you hear often writers say how hard and, and torturous it is to write. Mm. And you wonder why do you still write if it's that hard and difficult? It's because they love, at the end of the day, the, the, the thing of having written something. And I love the photograph. Mm -hmm. And most things that are really exciting in life are actually very difficult to get and i just found the strength within myself to face that challenge um yeah absolutely so when i look at when i hear a song i will or a piece of music i'll i kind of analyze it and 
listen to the certain instruments, listen to the production, listen to the construction of the arc of the arrangement, uh, and listen to the kind of um, general overall feeling as well that it gives me. What happens, I mean, all these things for many people, these are, these are sub-unconscious things for a lot of people because they don't think about mm. them on a regular basis. So what are those unconscious things that, we can, that you can see in a picture that most people won't, might not see? Or feel um, even the the space behind the camera probably. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can. I mean, often I don't know, of course, but I can, I can sense the moments that came before that picture was taken. Wow. Um, because of my own experience, um, and that's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, every now and then there's a picture where you go like, how, 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 like, I have no idea, right? So that's sort of <laughs> these, these magic photos exist as well. But longer you do this job, you kind of understand how, how it's done, which doesn't take away from the quality of the picture and the respect for the photographer. Um, but you, you, the sheen comes off a little bit. Yeah. Because you understand, you know, you understand the craft. Yeah, that went into making that picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, which is which is okay. I think you probably get the same with an amazing song you hear, and you know exactly how they achieved that particular vibe or sounds. Yeah. Um, or you, you can know. also hear the the kind of things that are cliched or people do all the time, the easy things, and yeah. thinks it's magic. And for you, it's not necessarily magic. Like, well, yeah, anyone can do that actually. But I mean, yeah. and you can hear beyond that or see beyond that. But that is that is so interesting that you can often f or feel behind the camera. I mean, I've never thought about that. that we yeah, look yeah. at a picture. You look at like the inverse or the literally the subconscious of the picture. Yeah, I, I still look at the picture and I, I course, admire yeah. it if I like it. But I then also understand probably a fair bit more about it. Uh, than non-professional photographers. Can you give and, me an uh, idea of, can you just give me, uh, you might not be able to, but could you try to explain what you see when you see that, when, what happens in your head? Um, if you see a photo and then you, you understand what's going on behind the camera, what, what's, what's going, what are you seeing there? I can't even imagine it. Right, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it very much depends on, on, on what I see in the picture, but like often you see like, man, that person had balls or man, mm. that person had really an amazing report with, with the subject, the picture. Yeah. Like, um, it's often actually in portraits when you see people f photographed in a, in a portrait setting, um, and not so much in studios, but more like documentary style portraits where you feel that you can see the subject in in the most sort of intimate moment yeah and of course the photographer was still there often less than a meter away from that person and it it just speaks to the emotional intelligence of that photographer um that went into making this this photograph mm. and and you know, I can imagine the, the the time that was spent with it or like in in in, in Portrait photography, often there's a, a certain amount of giving directions that go into it. 
And um, I, I like thinking about this because it's um, it's it's inspiring, you know. Yeah. For you, you just reminded yeah. me of when um, I showed you the front cover of my album, and your reaction mm. was like really strange not strange for me but i was really blown away because i i just see a picture of myself and i mean much of my album calling it as i am it's all about self-acceptance it's all mm. about uh trying to get rid of the facade or the, the costume you know and just say put myself right there on the picture as i am and that's quite difficult because to me, it seems boring. Like, I mean, it might do. I'm sure there's people who, for whom it's boring as well. They'll see that see that front cover and go, "Oh, that's just a picture of Charlie Winston." But uh, you know, for me, it's more than boring. It's also like, ah, oh, I don't know if I can actually be that naked, and and uh, and it must be boring to look at. But then you looked at it, and your your reaction was as soon as it came up on screen, you went, "Wow!" And you you actually mm. moved backwards. And mm. her, yeah, tip of the hat to Jan Velters as well for, for taking the photo. But um, I was like, wow, what's going on in your head there? And then you started asking me loads of questions about how the shot, how the photo was taken. And I was so kind of blown away. Like I really realized, oh yeah, there's a whole other way of thinking that a photographer goes through to see a photo. Mm. So what was going through your head when you saw that photo? Well, because I could, I could see that the photographer was... Uh, he, he he didn't go into the shoot to take a an complicated uh or like a, a photograph of Charlie Winston with a complicated light setup and and tried sort of to trick the viewer into admiring this you know image with great shadows and mm. you know highlights and all that no this photographer was trying to to capture something of you that looked beyond your facial features mm. right where your your as a as a as an on as a onlooker, you kind of like travel into your eyes and you go like, "What's in there?" But also, it's this sort of almost like this reflection of yourself because you also look at the viewer, right? Mm. It's you look straight at you. So in a way, it's when when we are talking now and I, I, I watch you listening to me, I can see you reflected, or in your face, you can. I can see your interest in what I'm saying reflected in your in your face, right? And that's mm. sort of similar with this picture where you look at this face kind of looking back at you and that creates a certain magic conversation, right? Mm. Um and, and to achieve that as a photographer is 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 something that takes you know a, a visual intelligence uh mm. yeah. I to, like that word visual intelligence. That's nice. Yeah. And emotional, yeah. you said emotional intelligence earlier on as well. I think we're kind of trying to capture both in a way, aren't we? I mean, in music, I'm trying to capture a, a sonic intelligence and emotional intelligence yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Um, do you think... And you can't pin it down, right? You can't just, you, you know, I, you, 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 there isn't a single word that says why this picture works the way it does, right? That yeah. Is, uh, yeah. So... Do, um, Tell me about your wife, because you said that she's it's a really important person in your life. And, oh, absolutely. And it sounds like she plays a role when you said you don't really know yourself uh, as well as you have come to learn yourself about yourself since 
she's started highlighting certain things. But um, so I guess we could say, oops, we guess we could say that she's changing some of your perspectives, like or allowing you to learn things about yourself that. I'm, yeah, because I, no one. Go on. No one's as honest to you as the person who's closest to you. If you allow that person, mm. a person, to be close to you, and if you don't do that, you stay in your solipsist bubble where the only person that tells you who you are is yourself and that's never a reliable narrator right mm. uh and um <laughs> you will be you will be quite a dick to everyone around you because you've never <laughs> realized what you do to other people because to yourself it seems okay that's just the way it has to be because that's the way you react and and make us like she's a photographer as well right she's a video she's a video journalist, video journalist. so we, we we share a very similar lifestyle and we talk a lot about stories um she also lives in china of course and then we cover similar stories and um but she's from singapore we, she's singaporean japanese so um different cultures which adds another dimension of um interesting perspective really mm -hmm to our relationship and um does she change your or shift your paradigms does she have you have you shifted your set frame of reference or perspective on life since that you've been sharing this life together meaning like as journalists living in foreign countries and but being together on that path has yeah i'd be a complete mess without her <laughs> because like you know she has brought to my life many things that never really worked. Um, but I found ways to, to um, patch that up. Right? Can you give me an example? Um, uh, it's, you know, it's sort of like, I'm a very rational person in 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 life and the way i tackle questions and and she's not um and having that perspective just gives me obviously a depth without which my life would be much poorer right mm. um and 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 i'd probably you know lack the um sense of completeness that's basically catches up with you for that kind of stuff you know like you you think you the strongest person in the world on your own but the letter will be in the mail at some point <laughs> yeah. right yeah. you know yeah. and um and it's it's that constant checking by someone else who does that not for selfish reasons but for reasons of of togetherness and love um can you yeah sorry can you think of a moment either in your relationship or in your life where you've been really confronted by the kind of dead end of your own beliefs where you've really had to sort of think differently 
Has there been a moment in your life, either either professionally or even as a, on an emotional level, where you had to really rethink things and go, okay, this is not working. I'm gonna um, reapproach this. Yeah, I the things I can't identify a single moment like mm. that because I have this constant incremental thing going on um, where I think through my life and 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 my work that I haven't hit a wall in that in that way yeah um i mean ex except for for in some ways after after 6 years living in a country where i feel um where i am not free because this is not a free country um that has taken has taken a mental toll, which I probably wouldn't be able to to get through without her, mm. without the, the constant, uh, constantly talking it through, yeah. right, and and trying to figure out and trying to find strategies to to uh, stay on the on on the healthy side of life. Mm. Because the mind, the mind in those situations, tends to sort of like go into self-destructive mode. Right? Yeah, we should probably uh, say that you've <laughs> you've lived in China through the coronavirus, yeah. while also at the same time following the story of where it began, where you were, yeah, and yeah. having and and being under intense scrutiny about that, and having to be incredibly diligent about your own sort of whereabouts you, well i mean just thinking yeah. of the story of when you told me when you were going to the the place where it began and you had jumping taxis and all sorts and i mean you've been through some pretty crazy scenarios can you can you just tell it say about one of the one of those stories that you've had to live through yeah so um china's always been hard for foreign journalists but the coronavirus definitely has added uh, you know many more layers of of obstruction and and surveillance and when the the coronavirus was starting to infect people and in wuhan in in around january february 2019 when it really became an epidemic at the time it was still an epidemic uh before it went around the world um I a, tra a colleague Martin Pollard uh, and myself we we couldn't go into Wuhan anymore because it was locked down and the surrounding province Hubei was was locked down as well so we decided to travel around the provincial border of Hubei to see how the corona lockdown and the the, the, the virus and this, the the fear that people had of it uh, affected people's lives so we went to all to like small towns and we saw like of course people in you know people being scared and in 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 horror really um but we couldn't really it was hard to tell the story because the police was constantly on our back and they would um detain us by the roadside hold us for hours they would call us into the police station they would like uh, lock us into our hotel and they would tail us the entire time and and that's sort of their that's their methods you know mm. they they they're scared of foreign correspondents telling anything that's beyond their control that they rather just shut down any activity of ours 
um, no matter what it is. And especially when it comes to such nationally important stories as, as the coronavirus. Mm. Um, we so, often hear these stories of like journalists getting, you know, particularly in Asia, like getting taken in a way and then put, put into cells or, you know. Well, I wouldn't say in Asia per se. Yeah, I, mean, I it, mean, it is a massive, it is a massive continent, but you know, China let's is Let's say China, a, particularly. Yeah, China is a, is a, is a very, um, it's one of the, the countries with one of the most restrictive uh, media uh, environments. And it's extremely hard here. And it has become much, much harder in recent years to get your story off the ground and and right. tell tell the stories you feel are important. So there's a lot of like run gun situations where you just like get into, you know, a village and you've got a window of a few minutes or half an hour before the cops turn up and they just shut you down and that's it. Do you, do you ever worry about like, you know, getting taken away or anything like that as a, as a journalist? Not really. No, their the approach is more passive aggressive. So they, they, they won't rough you up too much. Um, but they just basically try to obstruct you and, and, and stop you from, from like reporting a story. Um, yeah, it's, it, yeah. Speaking of worry, when, when, um, when you're in the Ukraine, would would uh, Meg, your wife, be worried about you? Was the, what's the situation there regarding like worrying about each other in in dangerous environments? Yeah, I mean, of course she was worried because it it was uh, an active shooting war, and it's the biggest war we've had in Europe since World War Two. And especially at the beginning, when we didn't really know how the situation would develop, I, I went in on this, I think the second day of the war. Um, and initially we thought the Russians would just like, you know, roll over the country and, and, and take over. And then so we had no idea. So initially it was it was scary for all of us. Um, but I promised her and I did call her every evening and gave her updates. And she was following the news. And of course, she understands that, you know, I take precautions, my company takes precautions, and we are as much of you as much as you can be experts in those situations. We do bring all knowledge to bear to make us as safe as possible uh, in, in you know hostile environments. So as as time went on, she increasingly understood that and we both understood that the the risk here is is manageable right no so what's, it was okay in the end what's the bravest thing we can do in a in a in a bad situation in life what's the bravest thing what's the brave how how what is it to be brave uh is it to be sensible? Is it to be like to take precautions? Do you think that's bravery or is bravery going in and? Well, well I mean, taking precautions is, is just smart. That's, um, brave is, uh, do you think if someone says to you, God, you're really brave going into a, a war zone. Do you see that as being brave? Not really, no. I, I I see it as my job, and and it's it's a job that comes with certain risks, but I think many yeah. other jobs do too. Um, 
and yeah i don't know i mean you know brave it's this it's a very It's a very cinematic term, you know. I find it hard to apply that to my life because once once you're there, you're just in work mode, you know. Like you, yeah. you know the routine, you know how to take. Uh, yeah, I guess this is also a part of the craft, isn't it? Is that you you go in and you're you're familiar with certain protocols and means of 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 staying or going. You know, should I stay? Or should I go? Yeah, I mean, you you you. you your mind goes very sharp, so you you in those situations you're very quick in 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 making decisions and and um, you thinking in many dimensions in the, at, the, at the same time. You know, like while you go forward in your car, you think how you're gonna get back. You mm. know, while you go left, you think uh, can I escape to the right? It's okay. it's that multi-dimensional thinking, ah. and your mind is always always running to be right. um, have a plan B and stuff. So that keeps you, that, you know, that's sort of a professional. It's a little bit like being on stage, I guess. When I'm on stage, I'm just like highly tuned in to that present moment. Exactly. And everything that's going on in that while I'm put on that podium to to do my thing. And And some people would probably think you're, you're bloody brave to step onto a stage in front of thousands of people and sing a song um but for you it's that's your moment that's that's work and that's what you've trained for for many years and that's uh, in many ways why you do what you do right? yeah yeah absolutely so so thomas given given everything you sort of told told said about your your life and the work that you do like and everything that you see as a as a human being but also as a photographer what do you think? What do you see in the world at the moment? Well, how do you see the world? How, what's your outlook on the world? Like, what are we? This is called. This podcast is called, as we are. So, what? Mm. What is this world that you see, us in? I mean, I mean, I am an optimist. Where I I do tend to see uh, the possibility of 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 people pulling into the right direction by and large as a community but i i i do see a danger which we a new danger which we haven't found uh, a remedy for which is um the possibility of controlling many many minds with information that is just no longer rooted in facts and truth and that is uh, i mean we've had it we've had it in the past right when when superstition and 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 rumors would cause like mayhem and you know create mob violence in you know yeah propaganda and and propaganda but also yeah but like now propaganda has become so fine-tuned to the individual minds through the devices we carry that it has just taken on such a more potent energy which we i think probably don't fully understand um how to 
how to incorporate, they will never go away, but how to incorporate that into a, a healthy fabric uh, of society, right? I, I do believe that things will probably have to get worse before they get better, before we understand how to contain that, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you if you look at what, what happened in, in the US on January the 6th, where so many people were just following a false message and attack their own the seat of their own government and and still months later believe that they did the right thing is is scary right how yeah. how, how how these untruths Absolutely. can take such a deep hold of people's minds and it's so hard to undo it even by giving them clear evidence uh, of the contrary and 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 that's that's scary and i don't think and i've seen it i've seen it's um, especially in in uh, in Russia, or rather, in when Russia overtook Crimea in 2014 and they annexed it, how they managed through a persistent campaign of disinformation to get the the Russian-speaking Crimean population onto their side beforehand, so they were just basically ready when the Russian soldiers appeared. Um, so. It's 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 scary to watch because you mm. cannot argue with these people, mm. and and we haven't found an answer yet how to how to contain that danger, right? Yeah, it's right. like absolutely. So you do, but you do feel ultimately a sense of optimism about. Yeah, sometimes I mean I, I I I enjoy reading a lot of history books, and if you do that, you read about so many gruesome massacres that you while reading that you sometimes think like how did we survive as a human species if we are yeah. capable of 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 mass slaughter on that scale yeah but so we true. have so true I, somehow I, somehow we always prevailed the the survival as a group we're very persistent Humanity is a very persistent species. Or life is very persistent. You know, life yeah. finds a way to continue. And yeah. but I do. I totally agree with you. I mean, I've gotten into, I've gotten into uh, history, just in the last few years or five years. I never really was much of a history reader, but since I've started learning about history, even recently, just going to the centre of France, and we went to see these caves in the Ardèche, and seeing these these art this art this prehistoric art pre prehistoric art historic from yeah. from 36,000 years ago just really blew my mind and just like mm. i was like wow we really have been here for some time but okay so finally as i end all my podcasts i want to ask you the i'm going to mention the song letter from my future self mm and I want to ask you what your future self around the age of 80 or 90, that that old man would be writing a letter to Thomas Peter today in your little well, or big apartment in Beijing. I'm not sure <laughs> how, how big it is, but you're part and you'd receive that letter today. What my you, little life in my big apartment. <laughs> yeah. what, would, what would old Thomas Peter say to present day Thomas Peter? What will he say? Sorry, not would he. Yeah, what will he say? He'll probably say, 
don't stop. Don't give up. Um, uh, keep on going on the path you go. And just, just, just don't stop. Because I think that every experience you make is, whether it's good or bad, is worth more than the regrets you would later have in life for not having done that because you were too scared or you were too lazy or you were too in, too much intimidated um so yeah it's 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 that thing where you just um you just got to keep at it you know i've got keep to ask you in, in response yeah. to that do you hold yourself back now i mean if he's giving you that advice old tom is giving young tom this advice do you hold yourself well, back? You mentioned that. I, I try. I, I try not to. Of course, I try not to. Uh, but you know, you you there's there's always periods in in everyone's life where you're not as productive as you would like to be, um, and there's always circumstances that stand in the way, and that's fine. You know, like um, I don't think you have to aspire to be uh, the perfectionist or the sixteen-hour working maniac. Uh, who wants to build an empire of some sort? That's that's not necessarily it. The, the the boredom you experience is just as important as the burst of energy and activity that that follow. Um, so, you know, it's a it's it it's a much like you know gradual lower oh, yeah lower. the latter the, the the latitude of 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 your activity doesn't have to be. A steep incline all the time right yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. you know just 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 don't recede into complacency and a uh meaningless routine mm -hmm. right so he's a happy man he's still doing he's still out there tom old thomas peter <laughs> writing yes, this letter yes. and he's saying keep oh, yeah, going yeah. you're keep, on the, keep 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 going you've got keep a going. good thing going eventually on. exactly because that old man will say like keep going eventually we'll get to where i am now <laughs> excellent the old man looking back thanks tom of course pleasure pleasure to talk to you charlie you too i hope to see you soon actually once this whole uh travel restriction craziness is over yeah absolutely it would be nice we're gonna work on that we will okay good okay. night charlie cheers bye 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 bye